What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation Podcast 49. Pretty excited. Today's podcast, Matt Antonelli. Um, we have some technical difficulties, so I just want to let you know um, I do not talk a lot in this. We have a weird thing happen with the microphone. It's the first time we've done uh, three connections in one and still trying to quite figure it out. So just hang with me. Um, the audio may be okay, but it's going to pick up in the beginning of the conversation um, that we missed the beginning part where uh, Matt is explaining um, his hist- history of playing and everything. So you only miss about a minute or two of the podcast, but it's going to jump right in. Um, if you have any questions or anything, um, please leave comments below. Thank you. I made my major league debut in 2008. I uh, ended up playing right around a year or so of major league time, but I think I got like 50 something at bats. Um, and then uh, in 2013, I was released by the Indians and wanted to stay in the game, wanted to coach, so I, I started to play baseball. Um, I also got into college coaching at the same time, so I did uh, instantly baseball. So I know about you because of YouTube, and it's, I have no idea because I basically started full time at the same exact time that you're you're talking about existing. So tell me a little bit more about YouTube and how that's played a role. Sure. So. I started YouTube as a player. Um, I was still playing probably, I don't even know when my first video was out, probably almost 10 years ago. Uh, so I was playing during the season, obviously, and then in the off season, I started lessons and stuff like that. And uh, I wanted to do, basically get my info out to people, help kids. And so I started to make videos back in 2010. I put up like one or two a month, nothing crazy. Uh, and that's kind of how I started. And then probably about two and a half years ago, when Antonelli Baseball was kind of really rolling, and obviously I was, I was more into the instructional side of things and working with teams and players, uh, I said I wanted to put up a video every day, and I've done that now for like two and a half years. And so, um, yeah, it's been, uh, I kind of started slow on it, realized that a lot of people were interested in some of the stuff that we were putting out. And uh, so I got heavier into it, and now I've done a video pretty much every day for the last, like, 800 days or so. And uh, I've gotten great feedback with a lot of great people along the way, and it's helped uh, kind of grow the business. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so tell me a little bit more about um, how you're getting in contact with anybody. Like, because for me, this is, this is just the beginning. You know, so the, I, I don't know how much you know about me personally, but just the brief version is... I'm from Minnesota. I moved out here. I this is actually the one year anniversary of me working with Cutter Nation, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and so I just like I, in Minnesota, I was not well connected because I I did try to be and I didn't have a voice. And and so you have been in front of people having this conversation for a lot longer. Um, so I'm curious what your experience is like. Like, oh my gosh, it's crazy that people are willing to talk. Like, we were just at CPI two days ago with Greg Rose for four and a half hours. And he just let us do that. And that is so awesome that people um, that are authorities in this industry are willing to have those conversations and continue to have, you know, that growth mindset. So I don't know if I'm asking a question, but elaborate on, on your experience. 
Yeah, sure. So I've had a similar experience. And, uh, and obviously, I think he is a much bigger name and doing probably much bigger things than I am doing. Um, I think social media is interesting because, uh, you know, like I, I talk a lot to people when I played in the major leagues, and although it wasn't very long, um, you know, I nobody knew who I was, right? Like, I could go and talk anywhere, and nobody even knew that I was a top player in the major leagues. It's really strange. And that, Fast forward now to where I've been out of baseball. Like every time I go to the park or I go someplace, like people ask me for autographs and like they want to talk. It's really weird, just because I'm on YouTube and Instagram, and uh, and so I think probably a lot. Of, it's probably like that for a lot of people. And so I do the same thing. Like I see people on Instagram or, or YouTube with channels, and you start thinking like, oh man, this guy's like famous. This guy's like this is like a really big time guy. And it's just like you know, like for me, um, I have a lot of followers online, but. You know, I'll talk baseball with anybody. I don't feel, you know, it, even though I guess I've become more popular and more people know me around the country because of YouTube, because of social media. Um, I mean, I feel the same way 20 years ago when I just want to talk baseball with people. You know? So, uh, same experience. I've, I've, I've been able, I think the cool thing is you're able to connect and talk to people um, and find out about people that you would, without social media, have no idea. And again, everyone seems really, really generous with their time and they, you know, they're, they're on social media to maybe promote a business, but really I think most people just want to help other people. And so the same person at the same thing, they'll take time. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. I mean, I was just talking, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ignite Baseball, but I'm, I'm friends with Kurt Hughes of Ignite Baseball. He's out in Virginia. And, um, and I've never met the guy, and I talk to him all of the time. And it's completely because of things that happen through social media. So we've gone down that rabbit hole before on, on the podcast, so I'm not going to go too deep into that. But tell me more about, like, I'm very conscious, and we are very conscious of what is the message that we're – what's important? You know, um, we show a lot of running guns, and, and that's been brought to attention lately. It's like – how can we continue to show that we're much more than that, that we're, we're comprehensive? So it's not a knock on us. It's like, oh, this is what we're seeing. Let's make sure that that narrative is a little bit more controlled. Now, that's just for our business. So you have such a, a bigger audience. you know. So what are the things you're posting once a day? What is your vision? What are you trying to accomplish? Sure. So you know, our channel has really expanded over probably the last couple of years. So I started off with, I would say, pretty much all hitting and fielding, and I did everything. Um, and, you know, I only felt like I could go so long with that message. And although I have, you know, I'm always trying to get better and I'm trying to learn more things that, um, you know, hitting especially, I'm hitting the same way, right? Like, you're always learning more. There's new stuff that's always coming out, new technology, and so um, although I've had more stuff to talk about, I feel like there's only so much as far as hitting and fielding that people want to see over and over again. So, I mean, I have expanded. We've tried to, uh, I've incorporated uh, other coaches. So we have a coach, Juan Rivera, who does a lot of our pitching stuff now. And, uh, and I also believe he watches a lot of your, your guys' stuff. So, um, so he, he's making a lot of our pitching videos. Um, I've gotten into more like question and answer stuff. So I started, in, I started getting questions from people like, you know, what is it like in a major league clubhouse or, you know, what is travel like? So I started doing that stuff. Um, 
I've actually, as silly as it sounds, I had guys on our team that were telling me that I had to play uh, MLB The Show on PS4. My son had it. Guys kept telling me, like, dude, you got to play. You got to create your guy and put it online. And I did that moving around. And I think I have more views on that than any of my other videos. So it's very strange, the stuff that just kind of comes up. And, uh, and I honestly, um, I have no, when I sit down, a lot of times I'll turn the camera on and I'll just start talking. Like, I literally, um, I would consider my main business, Antonelli Baseball, as far as lessons, as far as our teams, developing players, I consider that kind of a main business. And I almost consider YouTube now, like, not that it's just for fun, but I literally just, you know, we'll, I don't take a whole lot of time to plan things out. I have a pretty good idea of, of what my main philosophy is for getting and for fielding and all that. And, uh, and a lot of times I just turn the camera on and let it roll. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I literally use it now more as, I don't want to say just entertainment. It's still, I still want it to be really educational. And I still want to be able to help players. Um, but I don't get stressed out about it. I literally just want to have fun. And I get a lot of feedback from people. They let me know. A lot of people say, hey, like more of this, more of that. Or can you stand on things? And I'll just take their, uh, their comments and their suggestions and get more in depth with it. But it's kind of how we've done it. You know, coming up in the next week, I have no idea what's going to go up there. I'll literally go into the facility tonight. We'll run practices. Uh, Nine o'clock will come. The, the kids will head out, and I'll turn the camera on. And just I'll make it up on the spot, think of a couple subjects, and go from there. So I was just thinking from uh, – I, I should know who I'm listening to all the time, but I'm listening to the head of the first podcast, and whoever the heck he's interviewing is just talking about uh, – uh, just different styles of training, and then I lost my thought process. Um, but anyway, um, so on that idea, who are you? Who are you listening to? Like, are you listening to Head of the Curve podcast? What are some of the things that is influencing the things that you're uh, teaching and training at Antonelli Baseball? Yeah, sure. So I do listen uh, to them. I listen to. I try to listen to a bunch of people. I will listen to the Driveline podcast. Um, I will listen to, I'll do a lot of, uh, you know, although, so I used to be on Twitter a lot and then my account got hacked and I got, uh, I have not been able to, uh, get it back. And so I don't do Twitter as much. I don't post videos anymore, but I still follow a lot of people. Twitter's interesting. Um, the people that I follow, um, I don't know, there's so many of them. Uh, Twitter's interesting because, you know, there's good and bad, I guess, with social media. I, I find that there's people screaming and yelling at each other all the time on there and, uh, and fighting, which, uh, which I don't know, I guess that comes with, uh, with some people's personalities. But, uh, you know, I, uh, I, try to, I try to learn as much as I possibly can. If I look back at my, the history of kind of what I've taught, and some people bring this up, they say, you know, you've, you've changed over the 10 years and you've, uh, I'm sorry, hold on one second. I think I'm getting a call there. Can you see me? Yeah. All right, we're back. Sorry. Somehow a call. No worries. What's that? I also have been come through. We're both on Do Not Disturb. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but um, what was I saying? I totally lost my train of thought now. Um, <laughs> and I was holding on to it too until we started talking about telemarketers. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. Um, well, okay, so I'll ask you a different question because I remembered my old one. So I, I was the, the thing that I was thinking about was educating coaches. And that's something that John and I have talked a lot about is I think that's what kind of gets me really, really fired up is, is 
is the amount of youth volunteer coaches that that aren't given they're just not given a chance it's, right. this has nothing to do with are they doing the right or wrong philosophy it's like they just don't have any sort of foundation and so he's whoever i was listening to was bringing up the fact that like canada and another country have a really really sound i think something like it's in there it's like in legislation that they that need to provide some level of uh elementary education on youth sports and so the the amount of information for those uh people is a lot more like systematic and readily available where that it kind of happens here um but in the things that i've seen are just it's 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 well intended um but not necessarily in a way that teaches like it's not important to know exactly how the arm works compared to do you know how to run a practice right Right? like do you know how like how long should your catch play be how do you progress in that without paying attention to the details of it you know so like environment task um what is it environment task athletes right and that and with the information for the youth players i think it's way much too geared towards the athlete right and so i think youth coaches would have a lot more success if they were focusing their energy on like making practice a lot more fun like make there a ton of movement like how many things can you do in your practice it doesn't have to be always like that but just you know how can you be out you know out of the box think out of the box from that standpoint that's such an easy skill to disseminate to a whole entire group of people so anyway like that's where I'm trying to think about, like, who am I speaking to? So are you always speaking to the athlete? Is that where you're thinking of it? Or like, when you're, if you are educating it, whether it's entertainment or not, who do you want to affect? Yeah. Um, so I would say that, uh, I mean, I think it's split between coaches and players and the way I, I mean, Depending on the subject, we give a bunch of, you know, I have a bunch of different views on everything, but I would say I agree with you as far as, you know, when it comes to young athletes, I think, you know, being safe, um, having fun, and then instilling some type of athleticism. And so, you know, we're really focusing on all those things with anti baseball. We get kids as young as, I get kids as eight years old that come in. And so, um, yeah, I think the big, the, the one thing that we really like to do with our young players is, teach them you know basic movements and just being an athlete and using their body and so um you know we'll do a lot of things that just aren't maybe considered baseball related but just total athleticism building athleticism i was a three-sport uh athlete when i was younger i played i mean i in high school but younger than that i played every sport we get a lot of players now that only play baseball right they're only focused on one sport and they do that all year round and so um especially up in our area where typically here it, it wasn't like that especially 10 15 years ago where um you know we're in the cold where we can only play baseball three months a year um but because of so many indoor facilities now i mean just within our small area I mean, within a five mile range you can go to five or six different thirty thousand square foot facilities um to play baseball it's really really become crazy and so i think a lot of our stuff is uh, yeah, we love baseball. We teach them baseball, and we do run a program that basically goes all year round. But we encourage guys to get out, do other things, and even within our practices, we're working on movement stuff and and getting away from some of the just the monotonous baseball stuff all the time because that can get boring, in my opinion. And uh, 
And so I, I, I totally agree um, with that, getting them to be a well-rounded athlete. And, uh, and the fun part is huge with it as well. I mean, we like I said, we have guys, well, some guys who start with us in, in the fall, and they'll go, all, it's almost 12 months a year now. And uh, a lot of the stuff that we do is limited to being inside. Like right now we have a foot, we just got like a foot and a half of snow like two days ago. And so you get into a tunnel sometimes, we got small tunnels, and it can get boring for kids if you're just like, you know, we're going to do keywork and flip work and then throw BP and put a machine on and stuff. And so you've got to get creative, especially around here. Um, but why I brought in, we have a lot of people that work with our program and coaches that come in and have different backgrounds and, and are able to kind of, you know, bring ideas together and let me know and, and help me and say, hey, let's try this, let's do this. Um, and so I think it's important also to, to have a really good staff. We have probably 20 something coaches with all various backgrounds that have really helped me, um, expand our practices. Right. And so I was really for basically 10, you know, eight to 10 to 12 years, I was just baseball stuff. Um, I hadn't done other sports for a while before that. And so we have guys that, that have been around it that coach other sports. And so we try to just bring a little bit of everything together. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Um, yeah, I think developing the athlete is super important. And, and like you said, having fun and not getting kids burnt out on doing the same boring drills every single day, but bringing some competitiveness to it. I just had the, the conversation last night with one of our coaches. He said, I'd like, you know, we just started our practices for winter. And he said, Hey, I got this idea and this idea, and this idea, so that we can start to play some games and get the kids really excited to come. Um, and so, yeah, so that's how, uh, and I'm open to suggestions, whatever guys think is a good idea. Uh, we throw it into our practice. I, I love that. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing more specifically on the on the hitting side of things? Because I know, let's just start there, because I know that that's a sweet spot of yours. Yeah, sure. So it's just, just as far as total development with the players, kind of. Work. Yeah, what you, I mean, it's there's a lot of things going on out there right now, sure. right? Um, so I'm not going to be more specific. I'm going to let you go. I got it. So uh, the way I look at it, like. Just for instance, when we put together our practice plans for the year, um, most of our practices really are two parts. So one part is when you're looking at just, let's just talk about swing stuff. One part of practice is basically where I'm trying to teach them what I feel is the best way to use our body, right? To create bat speed or create a better bat path or create, to create quickness in the swing. And so we'll break down a part of practice where it's all about drill work and where we really like lower the difficulty of the drill. We do a lot of uh, T stuff. We do a lot of bag stuff. We'll have players hit on, on bags. If people have watched our YouTube channel or our Instagram channel, our Instagram page, um, you'll see we'll have, uh, and it's not just me doing this. I, I didn't come up with this idea. I stole this idea from other people and I just try to create new drills with it. But we'll do PVC pipe work or drill work. Um, we'll do medicine ball work. Um, and so all of that stuff, all the drill work is really just to kind of help the player move better, move in a way that we really feel will help them again with, with that speed and quickness and, and path. And, uh, and that's kind of like the educational part of it because there's so much information. First players, a lot of players, one may just be confused, right? They come in and they're like, man, I've watched 15 different YouTube channels and everyone's telling me to swing a different way. And so um, part of it is that, just trying to, to explain things, break it down simply to guys and say, you know, these are the things. This is what we're, you know, I really break it up into, and, and we could talk about this forever, but we'll talk about the load and getting loaded around our rear leg. 
uh, learning how to coil, um, learning how to get our upper body get, uh, get our upper body ready to hit. So I call it a pullback. But basically, just getting our upper body coiled around our our, our lower. Um, we'll talk about back tap and how you know the two things I talk about a lot are tilting, getting behind the ball, and then trying to get the knob up and get it into a palm up, palm down position. So like we'll explain kind of our core philosophy as far as movement and what we believe in with the swing. One to hopefully help um, simplify it and get someone that's confused to understand a little bit more. But two, there are a lot of kids that come in and do things that we would consider not optimal, right? So maybe a guy has just heard that he needs to swing down and through the ball and hit ground balls, and that's just not one of our philosophies. So we'll explain to look at the way we do it. This is, we'll show them a lot of video. Um, Anyway, so that's how we do a lot of our, our practice, right? I would say probably the first half. And then the second half of practice um, is we get away from being so much about the swing and we actually get into hitting. And so that's when we like raise difficulty. And you can do this through a bunch of different ways, whether it's, um, you know, BP with a pitcher throwing from a short distance or maybe we're mixing and breaking balls and off speed, not telling them. We've got a bunch of different hack attack machines, so maybe we're going to go high below in a hack attack machine. We've also got it set up so that basically one will be on a fastball, one will be on a breaking ball, and you know the hitter doesn't know which one's coming. You put two balls up, you drop it in a certain one. Um, we'll have live batting practice in the cage. We're doing this again all in, in you know 65, 75, 15 foot cages. Um, so that's basically the part of practice where we want to make it difficult. We want to make it more game-like. We don't want to make it so tough that the player feels every time and wants to give up and thinks, you know, I want to go play soccer. Um, but we want to make it challenging so that they can then get into a game and feel like they can take the swing that they took from their, their um, what we're talking about, mechanics, and then transition that over to the game. Because I get a ton of players that say, oh, man, I do all the drills. I feel great. I get to the game and I can't hit. And so I think it's a blending of, of both of those two things. Um, we also use more technology now. Now we don't. I don't have a. We don't have a huge budget, uh, but we do have a Rap Soto uh, that we use. We do have a Blast Motion that we use. Um, so we do, and I would like to put a lot more money into it. Um, but we're still somewhat. You know, a lot of people think we're this humongous business. We're not a huge, huge business. We only got a hundred. You know, we got probably one hundred eighty to two hundred kids. Um, and so I'm trying to re. You know, put our money back into the program and into the into our. Uh, our equipment and uh and so it's been really good but hopefully i'm hoping over the next couple of years we continue to uh to build that continue to use more stuff uh whatever way we can help players uh do it while keeping the business you know flourishing and not putting us in the debt and then all of a sudden answering baseball is no more so it's kind of i know that was uh i don't know if that's detail enough but no, that, i love that so Matt, I'm, Matt. I'm curious what are some of the things that you see kids coming in with that like you said they're confused or maybe have taught something like what are some of the common things that you see with kids' swings coming in that you feel like you correct over and over and over? And it's not that it's not like they're trying, but like, what are some of those things that you see right away? Well, I see probably two things, right? The, the, the one thing, especially with younger kids, I see either, uh, and it usually revolves around either bat tap issues or just how they use their body to create bat speed. So like we see a ton of kids that will come in and they've been taught from a young age, just put the ball in play, you know, stay on top of the ball. Kind of like the old school thought, stay on top of yeah. the ball, ball, swing down, create backspin. 
Um, and so we see a lot of guys just come in, they pound the ball straight into the ground, they swing and miss a lot, if they hit it, they don't create, I mean, they're hitting a bunch of ground balls, they're never going to really build a drive ball, maybe it works well at a really young level, like a 9, 10, 11, 12 year old level. But for me, those players, if they continue on that path, they're not going to progress and be able to move up in baseball. So I see that with a lot of players. Um, I also will also get some players now, you know, over the last few years, as far as, you know, people will talk a lot about launch angle, and I'm not going to get super in-depth on that, but, yeah, I still think people are confused with that, what launch angle is. Like, a lot of people that can say that, you know, I believe in the launch angle swing. And you'll see people that try to get the ball in the year, but they do it improperly. They're not doing it the way, again, that I think they're trying to do so they'll, there's a lot of arms and dumping the barrel and trying to swing straight up and, you know, they have no chance. They, they're watching YouTube and they're watching Instagram and Twitter and they're trying, but they're just, they're not completely sure how to do it. And so they're struggling in that way too. So uh, we get on both ends of the spectrum and I'm trying to get those guys to kind of meet in, in the middle again and talk about some of the things that we're talking about where, like I want the barrel to get behind the ball early, and I want to be hitting it slightly up. But it's not, you know, it's not a drop down on the ball. And it's not a just, you know, dump my barrel back here and try to swing straight up either. It's kind of a combination of both of those, where I'm able to have a really short, quick swing, but I'm able to get the barrel down behind the ball and stay in the ball. So those, are, those are probably the two biggest things that I see. And again. We, we work with tons of players. We've got 200 players in our program, but I'll see hundreds, if not thousands of players throughout the year um, that I'm working with. And so I see basically, I'll see basically everything. And, and it's great for me because, um, you know, I'm still working a ton. I'm only 34 years old. And so, um, you know, being able to work with players super young all the way up to college and professional players, I'm able to educate myself every day and try new things see what works and what doesn't work, and hopefully next year I'm a lot better than I am this year. Matt, I, I um, love what, what you were saying I about like live at Because I know there were um, some hack attack yeah, going dude. on. Oh, man. Say hello, man. oh, my God. Your simulation thing? So um, let me have, can you go into that live at bat thing that you're talking about yeah. over there? Because I call it testing. Oh, my God. You're muted. You're oh, muted. Oh. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, here we are. There we go. Hey. <laughs> um, Sorry, I, I'm going to try this again. Uh, I love what you were saying about your system of the live at bat stuff. Um, can you go into more detail about how often you do it and do everything? Because we think it's everything. Say the beginning. He's asking about live at bat, so he's asking about oh, the wow. hack attack setup. Yep. Gotcha. So exactly, what do we do with as far as the hack attack stuff goes? Yes. Um, so we'll do a bunch of different things. So we'll do. Um, we basically have it set up. Uh, we've got two of them um, that are kind of set up. So we'll do one. We'll either do like high velo training where we'll it'll be faster than game speed, right? So we'll do that a lot with our older players, but we'll do it with the younger guys too. So we'll do that. Um, but then we'll also do um, we'll do regular BP on that also. Uh, but then we have a setup where we'll have it set up for fastball or breaking ball. And we can do this a bunch of different ways. Like, I'll do it in some ways where we'll just switch it up. I'll call it. I'll say, okay, fastball, get tied up for the fastball, and then I'll go breaking ball. And I'll just let them know which one's coming. But then we'll also have it set up where I'll basically just hold up both balls at the same time, and then I'll go to drop it in, and they're either going to get a fastball or break. Well, it can be really, really difficult. And I think it's probably, you know, some players are like, this is way harder than the game is. Um which is okay. Like I said before, like I wanna 
I want to kind of push the limits and get them to the point where they do feel uncomfortable and it feels more challenging in the game. Um, but I also don't want to stick at that all day long to where they get discouraged and they feel like, uh, you know, I can't, I can't hit a baseball anymore. So we'll bounce back and forth. And then, like, competitively, we'll just do different things, whether it's, um, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of competition stuff where we'll go to teams that will either be, we'll keep track of hard contacts. Um, maybe it's, um, you know, we'll do a bunch of different things. We'll use the rap soda to use, you know, basically to look at um, exit velocity, which, again, just exit velocity alone, it's, you know, it's part of it. Um, I don't think it's an end-all deal. That's another thing that a lot of people get super obsessed about, and I think it's important. And I think that there's, you know, if you want to play a high level, you've got to be able to hit the ball with certain speed. I think there's no doubt about that. But I also think that it's not about just doing it one time. Like, we'll have some players that come in, and, you know, they can hit a ball 102 miles an hour, but they'll do it once every 15 times. So I think it's being able to, uh, you know, have some of that, but then also have a swing that's quick and short. And you're doing a good job of controlling your body so that instead of hitting it 110 miles an hour, 102 miles an hour, whatever, once out of 15, you can do it, you know, 10 out of 15 or, or whatever. So um, I guess those are kind of the main ways we use the hack attack so far. If you have any more ideas, let me know. <laughs> um, we, I'm going to try it, uh, if you can hear me. Um, we really love simulating the competition side. Um, so with what you're doing with the hack attack combined with the live bats, we treat it like wiffle ball, and we try to create a competitive environment where guys can compete like one-on-one -on -one basketball and make sure that they know that they're competing against another person. And that's the best part. Do you do it mostly one-on-one? -on -one? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, so, so it would be like, um, have you seen our live at Matt? Uh, I don't know if I have. I feel like I've seen... I've seen a bunch of your stuff, but I don't feel like I've seen a lot of bad stuff. So what we do is we, we go to, we have two fields that we typically go to, and we just line up pitchers. So anywhere between like four pitchers to, we've had like 14 pitchers out there. And we just have batters just at bat after a bat after a bat after a bat. And this will be like four hours. But kids will, you know, kids will come for two hours and get 15 at bats. And so that training economy and efficiency is what is really intriguing to us, um, especially coming from Minnesota. I didn't see this happen a lot. So I, I think he's curious, uh, how often do you have live arms against your live at-bats? Oh, how often? Uh, so we'll have starting, um, I would say starting for us probably February is when we get going. So our season starts in April. Um, and so I would say we don't do, we won't do any live at bad stuff as far as off pitchers right now. Anything that we're doing that's kind of close to simulate that is all off a hack attack. Or we'll have one of our coaches, you know, a couple of our coaches or former pitchers that can bring it pretty good. Or we'll bring the L screen in and we'll do the same thing. But as far as having live pitchers and live hitters, we don't do that until February. And again, it's all indoors. We literally do it. We don't even do it on a field. We do it in tunnels. We've got our set setup, and uh, and so we'll go. You know, I don't know. We'll we make we break our practices down. You know, by team. So we usually have about I'd say eighteen kids on a team on an older team. But we could have as many as eight POs. Sometimes we'll yeah, I'd say usually around six to eight POs where they're gonna come in. They're gonna get like an hour and a half throwing, and then from there that's when we'll just break up the teams. You know, and we'll just start, whether it's team A and team B, um, or whatever, we'll just start tossing in that. 
Uh, we'll do that once. We'll do that usually once to twice a week for each team, depending again on what part of the year is. February, we'll just go once a week doing it. Each pitch will grow, you know, again, maybe 40 pitches. Maybe as we get closer, it'll go up a bit more than that. Um, but, we, but we'll also have other stuff going on. So we'll have that going on in the middle months of tunnels and then on the outside, again, like I was saying, with we'll have guys working on their mechanical stuff while that's going on. So they can go from drill work to live work back and forth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so in my experience, especially from Minnesota, like that is, that is so critical that you have that ability to maximize the resources in the space that you have and, and that you're, you're killing it. Like it's, it's very obvious that that's the right way to do it. And I think what John and I are saying is we just feel like the ratio that we want is a lot higher than most people. And I think that we we have the luxury of being in Southern California, and you touched on it earlier. It's not common in Northern states to have people throwing gear around. And and what my argument has been, especially to my Minnesota people, is the people that do throw gear around, you don't even you're not even close to doing it right. Because what what year round means to a lot of Northern players is I'm going to throw as hard as I possibly can once a week, and maybe throw against what and and that's not what we're doing. We're throwing one to two times a week, you know, depending on who the kid is and where they're at in their development, as hard as they possibly can, you know, one to two times a week, as, as long as they possibly can. But then that those extra throwing are, those are, um, you know, that's where we're doing the skill development. That's where we're doing, you know, building up the capacity of the arm. And, and I'm not trying to get too long-winded in what we do, but I, the, the, the point is, is that is all for us to be able to get them to compete. Right? right, and so we're trying to offer that as that is our training. That is the pinnacle of training for us is put them in those live situations and then coach them. And this is where I'm, I'm going to go up a little bit here because as as a pitching coach at a Division three school and and being in that world um, as a Division three player, it's like there's this fear on the field of saying the wrong thing as a coach. Right, and so a lot of the people that I know that aren't in the training world that are in the coaching world will ask me, like, "Yeah, but how do you train? Just can the guy pitch in a game? I know you guys do this training, but like, you don't coach. Can you actually translate?" I'm like, "The the fact that we think it's two different things gets me so riled up because all that means is, first off, I get to say things to you sometimes, but not all the time. What kind of relationship is that? Nobody has that kind of relationship." Right, and, and so maybe my experience is a little bit unique, but I also don't think it is. I think that's really common for in-season coaches to feel that they can't screw things up. And oftentimes the kids are really good at screwing it up on their own and that they need us to make sure that they understand how to make better decisions in their habits, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's where, I think that's where we really see it, and I mean this. John has zero fear of doing it. And so in our live at-bats, I don't care if you're Randy Johnson. If you're coming to our live at-bats and you're behind, John's behind you, he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. And he coaches his ass off. Right. And, and most people are scared to do that. And, and, and as soon as I saw it, my light bulb just goes off because I go, this is the problem. Because when we get into games, this tension is created. 
John can John can say whatever he wants in a game to a kid because he's already said this exact same things in these live situations. So sure. I got a little long winded there, but I, that's where we get so passionate about. And I know it's killing him to to not be voicing his opinion here, but it's just why we why he's so live at bat and and just will say it all day long. So yeah. we're wrapping it up here. So I'll let you respond, and then I know you have to get going here. So but you're good. Uh, I totally agree with everything you just said. I think that um, you know I think that a lot of times when people think about training, and that's why I talked about splitting it up. Like you've got to put the player in a situation where when they get into the game, it's like this. Oh my god, this is so different right now. I haven't done this before. I haven't had you know. So, like, as far as pressure and all that stuff. Um, so, I think that's why you break it up. And, like you said, you'll have days where you're working on drill work, you're working on whatever it is, and then you've got games where you're competing. And, you know, we run it just like a game. And you've got to get guys out. There's going to be some pressure. And, you know, I think it's crazy. At, the, at that point also, like, that's where the coaching really has to be done. And I don't know. I just think that – I was actually watching something a few days ago just random, it just popped in my head about Michael Jordan and how in practice he got on guys more in practice on every little thing because he said, if you can't deal with me getting on you in practice, how the hell are we ever going to do it in the game? And so I totally agree. I mean, uh, any pitcher or position, anybody knows that the game is going to be tough. And so if if we're just like baiting guys in practice, we don't want to get on them. Exactly. How the hell are we ever going to make any adjustments or do anything in a game? Um, and I just think about that Jordan thing. Like, he could scream and yell and do whatever he wanted in games to get on guys, but they were able to get through it and not crumble and cry because, well, he did it in practice. He did the same thing, right? guys before in practice and built them up and got them ready for, for the game. And then the last thing I'll say is I think the biggest issue we see in this area, too, and you mentioned it, I actually just had this discussion with Juan Rivera last night, our pitching guy, is guys will um, they'll go out and throw – like we have guys that go to a camp and they'll throw a hundred percent, and then they don't want to. Then they won't throw for like three weeks, four weeks, and then they'll go to another camp and ramp it up to a hundred percent. And then they're saying, "Why is my arm bothering me?" And, and people say, well, "You can't throw year round." And it's like, you, if you're going, you cannot just ramp it up and shut it down, and ramp it up and shut it down. Like you gotta be able. To, anyway, and obviously you're gonna be killing it. This happened to a lot of our guys because. They'll say, well, I'm not going to do stuff in the fall or I'm not going to do stuff, you know, in the early winter, but I've got to go to three camps and i got to go do this. Well, you, you can't go to those if you're not prepared to go. So it's really interesting. And the guys that are and working year-round, like, they never – we have tons of guys that throw all the time, but they're, they're trained to do so, and they're perfectly fine. And it's actually the guys that don't train and just want to sporadically say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go – I'm going to try to throw – you know, 92 right now, and I haven't done anything. Oh, why is my arm killing me? So I just literally had this conversation last night about a couple of our guys from Juan. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you guys. We're on the same page. Every of day. Course. Every day. Who disagrees? Nobody does. Just nobody thinks about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we freak out about it every day because it yeah. doesn't make sense. No, I agree. I All agree. right. Well, Matt, this is a little bit shorter than most of ours, but it's great because all this has done has got me really excited to keep on having a conversation with you and and your guys there. So, um, hey, thank you very much. Tell us how we can find you one more time, put it all, wrap it up together. And if you do have anything going on spectacular that you want to, to pump, here's your chance. Yeah, so the easiest way is I'm on, I'm on 
YouTube the most and Instagram probably the second most. So if you just go on there and type in Anthony Baseball, you'll find me on both spots right there. And then uh, you can also email me, Matt at AntonyBaseball.com or just go on the website, AntonyBaseball.com. And uh, yeah, and I'm taking everyone's suggestions. Uh, I'd love to hear feedback from people. And, uh, and I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. John, you want to wrap it up? Uh, Matt, if we can ever work together in the future, please reach out. You know, I think we're very cool to do some kind of combined thing, especially with live at bats, because it's, it's really fun. Uh, we've expanded to a couple other uh, facilities and people that are trying to get us to kind of do that in different spots, too. And um, I literally think it's everything. You know, I, I wanted to go more into it. You, you hit a lot of issues with a lot of people because I haven't stopped throwing in 10 years. And you have to throw all the time. You just have to. You, you can't. No, oh, I just, lost you. So. Um, it sounds perfect, though. Yeah. Matt, as soon as you went away, I can hear John perfectly. Matt, can you hear me? Yeah, you're back now. Oh, okay, that's well, when you went away, I could hear John perfect. No way. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, anyway, thanks for coming on. Let's try to do this again. Hopefully, I can figure out this new tech issue thing. So. Anyway, this is fantastic, Matt. We really appreciate it. I'll be in touch with you very soon. Okay, Definitely. We'll, we'll tag each other on some stuff on Instagram and, and go from there. Thanks again, Matt. All right. Perfect. See you guys. See ya.